0: But I think community-driven sales is a strategic play for the future that every company needs to to think about. So we call that the the magic triangle. So community 3.0, loyalty 3.0, and experience 3.0. That's I think what sales and marketing people need to think about. For me, the central flywheel of everything that we just discussed is trust. Welcome to the Revenue Discussion
1: Podcast. This podcast aims to inspire and educate the newest generation of revenue leaders on various subjects related to sales, marketing, revenue operations, and customer success. Every week we invite an inspirational guest who is willing to share his or her insights, strategies, and tactics that has worked or are still working for him or her. Today we've invited Dado van again to the show. If you don't know who he is, he is the guy when it comes to helping organizations with their innovation vision and strategy. A futurist, but what makes Dado very relevant for a discussion of today is that he's also heavily involved in the newest uh development regarding blockchain, Web3, NFT, the metaverse, etc. And so today, I use the opportunity of having Dado on the show to ask him the question, what can we expect the impact of the metaverse will be on the commercial organization? Curious? Well, let's listen to the show. Hey, Dado. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing very good. Thanks a lot for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Now, I don't want to put you on a pedestal or anything, but it seems to me that you're quite the Belgian guy when it comes to
0: NFT, Web3, blockchain, crypto. Am I kind of right? Well, at least I try to be at the front of what is happening right now. So I think there are more people that are... uh, trying to be pioneers in the field, uh, but I definitely try to be part of that community
1: indeed. <laughs> awesome. Well, you know, that's, that makes it uh, so much interesting for this discussion of today. But before we go more in depth about these topics, um, maybe give a short intro about yourself. You know, what have you done? What are you actually uh, currently doing right now? And how has that led you to be involved in everything that has to do with uh, this virtual economy?
0: Yeah. So um I'm based in Ghent. Um I'm uh, running a company called Imagine Studio which is part of Scopernia. Uh we are a web3 and metaverse uh, oriented organization uh, helping companies with both the strategic side and the implementation side. Um we have an office in Dubai so we do a lot of projects in uh, in the Middle East. And I've always had a passion for the future and technology. So uh I wrote a book back in 2012 on digital transformation before it became a, a total buzzword. And we have helped a lot of corporate organizations in many industries to transform their business uh, for the future. And next to that, I'm also involved in several startups. Uh, I co-founded Speakers Base, which is a new style speaker agency. I'm part of Social Cedar, uh, which is an employee advocacy platform on, uh, on social media. Uh, and I'm also running some other projects which uh, still have to see the lights. So uh, always a passion for technology <laughs> in the future. All right, we'll have to uh,
1: stay up to date with uh, with your newest adventures then. Now you have been, I mean, studying. I mean, probably you have been studying a lot of what is going on in you know everything that has to do with metaverse, Web three, blockchain, and etc. Et but I feel that a lot of people are still kind of hesitant about whether or not it's going to stay or it's just a hype. So maybe you know, from your point of view, why should people care about about those new evolutions?
0: Well, I think you're absolutely right. There's a hype currently, um, because there's a lot of uh, people talking about the subject, uh, and still the user adoption is is quite low. The technology is still in its uh, infancy. So I think it's it's right that there is a lot of hype compared to the usage that is already happening in the market. On the other hand, for me, it's very clear that uh, something is happening. And I had the same feeling with uh, social media when it saw the, the light of day, the same with mobile. And now I think we are entering a new phase of the Internet. And I try to always look objectively at how things are, uh, are coming alive. And if I uh, look at the markets, I see three things happening. So you see the behavior of young kids who are pay- playing massively on Fortnite, uh, Minecraft, Roblox, platforms that are getting 50 million daily active users, uh, which is, uh, which is immense. Uh, where kids are also spending money on their avatars, buying digital weapons, skins, etc. cetera. Um, so that's extremely interesting. They're building their virtual identities in these worlds. Then you look at the developers and you see that the best engineering talents in in the world are trying to see how they can develop on the blockchain, how they can develop for the metaverse, how they can specialize in 3D visualizations. Uh, And then the last part is uh, I always try to follow what the the money guys are doing. And then you see that the big investment funds either in the US or Asia are spending a lot of uh, resources on this new wave. So if you look at those three elements, the behavior of the kids. The best developers in the world and then what the big funds are doing it's very clear that the attention is rallying behind this uh this current evolution now on Mm -hmm. the other hand i think for tomorrow probably uh, most of the things we do will remain the same so we need to look at this from a long-term perspective i think it will take uh, another three to five years before we really go into mass adoption um when the hardware software and platforms really collide uh, so we still have some time, but I think companies and people like us need to see what is happening and understand it, just to make sure that we're ready for this evolution that is uh, that is coming. Because we missed uh, mm-hmm. some evolutions from a Belgian perspective, for example, uh, in the past. Uh, we've missed the digital train. We've missed the e-commerce train, leading to the fact that the Netherlands now is serving the Belgian e-commerce customers through bold.com or Coolblue. And I hope that from a Belgian or European perspective, that we capture this wave we need to be critical we need to also see the potential downsides or things that need to get better but i think we also need to look at it from an optimistic standpoint and try to be front of the community and not just the laggards who are just critical and missing out this next train yes yes a hundred percent no i
1: love that i love that idea um i don't know if that will happen though because i know that belgium is a you know very risk averse country so we always want to wait and see what happens and if there is value and we believe in it, then we might invest it. But uh, I, I, I love the passion that you have there, and we need more people like you that to, or uh, to incentivize, to sensibilize uh, you know, people around this topic. Now do you sometimes make a parallel with other evolution that has you know, t- taken place in the past, like social media, for example, you, you, you brought it up a uh, very little bit, but do you see there some evolutions and, and parallels you can make with those evolutions from the past?
0: Well, for sure. uh, If I uh, look back at my days of uh, helping companies to adopt social media, then a lot of uh, leaders in organizations thought that Facebook or Twitter were just plain stupid. Uh, A lot of people said, uh, what are you (laughs) putting on Twitter? That you're waiting for the bus or uh, that you're having a, a good pizza. So what's the use? And then suddenly you saw that political leaders, CEOs of uh, international companies were getting on board because they saw the value of conversations on social media and also the reach it was getting compared to traditional media. And then suddenly the ball starts to roll. Uh, and so I think you see the same wave happening again. So right now we're in the phase of uh, a lot of criticism, a lot of headwinds, people who are being very skeptical. Um, and I think we, we also try to focus a little bit too much on platforms. So, for example, people sending me an article saying that Decentraland only has 38 daily active users compared to a 1.2 billion um, valuation. And then they say, see, it's an empty world, the metaverse. Uh, but I think, first of all, the metaverse is not virtual reality. Uh, and it's also not one platform. Uh, it will be a mixture of a lot of different things. Uh, it's just the next evolution of the internet. But if you think back about social media, then people uh, also saw that MySpace crumbled, that Google Plus faded away uh so also in the social media realm there have been companies that uh, thrived and then there were companies that faded away mm-hmm. and so I, I think it's important to understand the underlying ideas and protocols more than one company one organization uh, or one technology that will be leading so uh so for me it's very clear that it will play out um but a lot of companies will fail a lot of projects will uh, will fail both in metaverse and nft space but underlying, I'm uh, I'm willing to put my hand in the fire that a lot of the things that we are discussing right now will play, play out in a period of the next decade.
1: Yeah, you know, when I think back of social media, um, I'm from 97, so I'm 25 years old today. And I remember when I created my Facebook account, you know, Facebook was already there. And when, you know, I had a certain age where I know I, how I used to, computer and stuff like that, I was able to create my my account already. I mean, that was my first touch with technology. I could immediately create an account. And I think, you know, I was probably part of that demographic that was, you know, the first user of Facebook, probably. And now everybody has a Facebook account. Maybe we don't use it as much as, as in the past anymore. But I feel that now with Fortnite also being that big, big, buzz around you know what is actually possible um, regarding virtual identities and stuff like that I feel like it can also come very much from the younger generation and how they really push the the, the society in general more forward to the direction so how what do you think or what do you do do you believe uh, around that
0: Yeah, for me, it's we see four generations in the market. Uh, The first ones we have called the classics. Uh, So the people, if you take a shoe company that still go to a shoe shop and buy most of their shoes in an offline setting. Then you have the generation converted. So people that did not grow up with the internet or digital would want to experiment with it. It's typically the generation of my mother. Uh, so she's willing to uh, buy something on the internet for 50 euros or a hundred. But if it gets more, she gets a little bit scared. Then you have the generation digital which i think i'm part of Uh, i'm from 1982 so already 40 years old i grew up with the game boy and the first internet modems Uh, so i like to do as much as possible in an online setting but i still like to go to a store for a really immersive experience and then i think we're entering now the next generation which we have called the generation metaverse Uh, Indeed, the youngsters who grew up with an iPad since they were two years old were playing Roblox, Fortnite, Minecraft and all the other games um, and who have never seen a world without the Internet. Um, And I think that's very important to understand that these people are completely differently wired. Um, They did not grow up with the magazines or newspapers on the table. I still know them Mm -hmm read my news online um, or on Twitter or other uh, social media platforms, but I still know the old variants and this is the first generation that will have never seen a magazine on the table or a newspaper uh, and they will think it, it are weird art- artifacts from the past. And I think it's an important for companies both B2C and B2B to understand this generation metaverse uh, who grew up with immersive experiences, uh, who grew up in communities, and who also like to have ownership of their stuff. Uh, so, for example, if people buy something in Roblox, they want to have the digital skin. Uh, I used to play games where you had those skins, but everybody had the same one. And so now you can have your own personalized skin, your own personalized avatar, your own personalized weapon. So I think that's kind of what we need to see in front of us. And I also tend to believe that we should focus more on the metaverse generation than on the metaverse in itself. Because I think... Mm, The hardware and hardware hardware will still take a little bit of time to further develop, but the metaverse generation is already here. So people who grew up with these Mm -hmm. kind of dynamics, and I think that companies need to see how they can cater and delight to that new generation who is also entering the workforce. So it's not just a customer that is on the doorstep, but it's also the reality of new people. And since a lot of companies are battling for talent, I think they need to understand what this new generation is, uh, is about. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Because if you, if you, because let's try to, to visualize actually the, the different layers, if I can say it like that of the mm. metaverse, because you have different aspects, but you know, not everything is the same, obviously. So can you try to, uh, to help us visualize what,
0: you know, entails the entire metaverse world? Yeah, sure. So because there are some things that are getting um, in touch with each other. So the first layer is what we have called the virtual identities, uh, which are kind of our digital identities on steroids. So we all have a Facebook, LinkedIn, maybe TikTok, Instagram account, or Be Real or Snapchat. But in the the metaverse or Web3 world, we also will have avatars because the internet is coming alive. So that's the Mm -hmm. first base layer that we will have virtual identities that will be visualized under the form of avatars and maybe even live on the blockchain. The second layer is what we have called our virtual assets. So whenever you have an avatar, you could have specific clothing that you own. For example, Tommy Hilfiger has launched virtual clothes uh, in partnership with Ready Player Me, the main avatar platform. Um, So whenever you want to own these, NFTs will probably be the technology that allows you to do so. So very short, these are smart contracts that run on the blockchain that showcase that you are the unique holder of that virtual asset. It can be clothes, but it can also be a virtual piece of land. Uh, It can be a virtual other asset, a contract that you have. So anything that you want to own in the the virtual space are virtual assets that go with uh, NFTs as a technology. So that's the second layer. The third layer is um, kind of the way that you need to pay for these elements and that will probably happen with virtual currencies. And there we have three options. It can be the leading cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin or Ethereum or other currencies. It could also be that Meta, the company of both Facebook, creates a Meta coin uh, that will allow us to pay for virtual goods. Mm-hmm. Or it can be that the central banks also launch their currencies. So you could have the virtual euro or the virtual dollar uh, that also runs on a proprietary blockchain uh, that allows you to pay in a virtual way. So it's unclear how it will play out, but for sure we will have an increase in virtual currencies.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then the Fourth layer is uh, virtual companies uh, where you will have DAOs, for example, a DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization where people own tokens instead of shares, uh, which I think will really revolutionize the way that organizations are structured, giving you either financial rights like dividends or governance rights where you can vote with uh, with your tokens. And then the last layer are really the virtual 3D worlds, uh, which we now dub as the Metaverse, where everything will uh, will come together. So these are kind of the five layers. And then uh, it's important to, yeah, to understand two things, in my opinion. The first one is each of these layers can stand on its own. Huh? So it can be a separate, uh, let's say, dynamic that happens. And secondly is that these five layers can be open meaning that they're not controlled by any big tech company or they can be closed walled gardens. So if you look at Meta, uh, that's the reason why they rebranded from Facebook to Meta. Uh, They of course want to play on every layer in that equation. And they also Mm -hmm. want to monetize that. They want to take 48% on every transaction that happens in their horizon worlds. So obviously they have a financial incentive to build it all by themselves and it's unclear because the market will decide uh, who uh, who is able to pull this off. Right. Uh, I hope it will be open just like we have the internet which is not controlled by one company or one entity uh, and companies are able to build on top of these uh, protocols. I hope this will be the same with those five layers but uh, the future will tell and the market will uh, will decide.
1: No, definitely. But there are I imagine already concrete use cases of, you know, maybe for the different layers that you just explained already concrete use cases are there that uh you know that show the the yeah the possibility the reaction of the market i should say uh on those so do you have maybe concrete use case like that that you can you know again try to help us visualize indeed what it can mean for the business
0: yeah sure so um there it's interesting to see that in the disruption age of digital, uh, the media business was the first one to take action because they saw that people went from need- reading the news offline to online variety, So they had to shift their business model. Now, it's interesting to see that the fashion and luxury segment is the first kind of category that is really moving forward in this space. Um, one of the leading examples is Nike. Uh, Nike has bought a company specialized in virtual shoes um, and virtual uh, fashion items called Mm -hmm. Artifact. They've bought the company last year for an undisclosed sum. And it's clear now from results that Nike has already sold over uh, $185 million in virtual goods. Uh, So I think that's crazy that these fashion companies will have digital twins of their physical garments which probably also will have an impact on the sustainability because now they can already produce things. Sorry, they can already launch uh, products, uh-huh. sell them as NFTs, and then do the production afterwards, where now as they have to produce before, oh, okay. sell the clothes, and maybe you have too many, uh, which means that, that you have a lot of waste. So by selling NFTs, you can see what the demand is, and then uh, yeah. production. No, Adapt according- to project and logistics plans uh, according to that exactly so that's uh, that's super interesting so virtual fashion nfts it's very clear also virtual shops uh, in the metaverse virtual runways so that's that's definitely the category where most of the things are happening right now um, you see that uh, big brands like Lacoste uh, are also moving into the space. Adidas has a partnership with the Board Apes, one of the leading NFT collections. So that's one category. Uh, then you also see that the music business is uh, moving in quite heavily uh, because people now can, for example, buy an NFT of an artist or a track. And then once that gets popular, they can get the royalties out of that next to the artist. So you're an early supporter, you make a financial commitment, and then whenever it becomes successful, you also reap the uh, the benefits, which is extremely interesting because that means that artists will be able to fundraise themselves together with their community, maybe cutting out uh, the middlemen uh, that are now raking in mm-hmm. most of if afterwards so uh, that will be for sure democratized the same in the movie business where a movie can do fundraising again under the form of nfts before it's getting launched and so forth so that's another uh, industry that is uh, moving in No, very uh, interesting
1: I, I definitely want to go more in in depth about you know what what it can means for the revenue organization marketing and similar so before we we go more into that uh maybe can you also because i know that you know nft is also like a big buzzword when it comes to uh, anything that has to do with, with Web3, Blockchain, Metaverse, etc. But I feel that people still don't really know what NFT is or what it can actually mean, also from a business standpoint. So can you maybe try to, to explain it um, to the audience?
0: Yeah, so the um, uh, abbreviation stands for non-fungible token, uh, meaning that if you have an NFT, it's a unique piece that you have. Uh, so that's important compared to normal tokens, which are interchangeable. Uh, so an NFT is a unique piece of content that you have um, that comes under the form of a smart contract, uh, which is written onto the uh, blockchain. Right now, most of the Ethereum, uh, of the NFTs run on the Ethereum uh, blockchain uh, and NFTs basically describe that you are the owner of a specific asset that can be a virtual asset. So for example, a digital artwork Uh, or a virtual piece of land or virtual house, but it can also link to the physical world. Uh, For example, Alfa Romeo has launched NFTs that basically describe the maintenance part of your car whenever you sell it on the secondary markets. So basically an NFT shows that you're the unique holder of either a virtual or physical uh, object. It's written in the blockchain, meaning that it's provable that you're the owner. It's immutable, meaning it can't be changed. And it also can describe certain benefits that you have as a holder of the NFT. Uh, for example, the artists that create virtual artworks, whenever they sell them, they get a first uh, piece of the revenue, of course. And then whenever every secondary sales happens, they get another piece of the royalty, which is extremely revolutionary in the art space. Uh, but also the benefits can be different. So, for example, if you have a community of people, you can say, okay, all the NFT holders get access to specific content. Uh, And you need that NFT to have the access to that content or the access to a specific event or the access to a specific product launch. And that's interesting because, for example, Shopify has launched a token gated e-commerce initiative where only people can shop in a specific e-commerce platform when they are the holder of a specific nft so these are kind of the things you can do but in short it's a contract on the blockchain that shows that you're the unique holder of a specific asset and with that assets you can have certain benefits like the ones i just uh, described
1: yeah and i and i very i mean i like very much the uh, that second secondary market aspect of it because now as a provider of a nft you don't only think of that first uh, initial transaction, but you really think long-term, you think sustainable. How can I make, how can I benefit from it on the longer term? But that means that everybody
0: benefits from it, right? Yeah, absolutely, and that's, uh, that's extremely interesting. If you look at Nike again, so they did $185 million in sales, but every time people resell one of those virtual sneakers, Nike again reeks in a specific uh, part of the royalties. Whereas now if you buy a pair of shoes, uh, like, let's say the Air Jordans, which are extremely popular, and then you resell them, yeah, then Nike doesn't get a percentage out of that. So now mm-hmm. for the first time, they have kind of revenue into perpetuity whenever the community keeps on um, trading those uh, those NFTs. And that makes it interesting for creators, so artists and content creator, creators in its broader uh, sense, but also big companies that are able to sell something which is sustainable over the longer term uh without anything they have to do so again alfa romeo once they sell the car they could also say next to the maintenance part of the nft we also get a small portion of the resales of that car so imagine what kind of revenue Mm. that could uh, could generate
1: yeah no, i can imagine that if you are very creative a very creative person you can really create new type of business model business ideas around Mm. a, a a product or a service very interesting Now, I've seen that recently you made a post on LinkedIn that started with this, how to move from a customer-centric to a community-centric approach. Mm -hmm. Can you explain that?
0: Yeah, so companies uh, for the past 10 years, wherever I went, uh, told me and us that they wanted to be customer-centric. I think in a lot of cases that was not true. Um, And I think now it's very clear that community becomes kind of the battlegrounds. And I want to start maybe with an example. Um, the most popular YouTuber of, uh, of this moment is Mr. Beast, who has over 200 million uh, YouTube subscribers on different channels. And after he built that community, he started to sell products. So he has the Mr. Beast hamburger. He also has chocolate. And for example, the hamburgers alone are already doing a hundred million dollars in revenue after wow. one year. Um, But the way he built this is he first built the community and then he started to launch products. And of course, most businesses are built the other way around. So they have products and services and then they need to start building community. But it's very clear that if you look at the Roblox, Minecraft, Fortnite games of people gathering communities... And you also see that on the internet, think about platforms like Reddit, for example, people are gathering more and more into niche communities that really speak about their domain of interest. You also have Telegram or WhatsApp where you see the same dynamic happening. Mm-hmm. And then there's Discord, the specific community platform for the Web3H, which is kind of a WhatsApp on, uh, on steroids. So I really believe that companies need to think either what communities they can build or what communities they can be part of. Um, so partnering is definitely for me, the, the name of the game, uh, and partnering, not just with other companies or brands, but partnering with the right uh, communities. And so I really, and who, sh- to- who should be partnering then any company, you mean that part that need to partner with the ecosystem around them. Yes. Any company I think should try to think what is the community that we have or that we can launch and build because it takes time. It's not something that you can turn on overnight, obviously. Mm-hmm. Or what are the communities that we can be part of? Um, And I think that's really, for me, a strategic um, exercise that every company needs to do, either small or large. For example, we are trying to do the same. We have a company in, uh, in Dubai. And in Dubai, we have created a network called The Future Club, where we bring together business leaders from the region, to discuss about innovative topics. So we don't sell anything. We don't come with commercial offers. It's just a very no-nonsense, informal community that we gather on a monthly basis. And we believe that by building that community in the second line, through serendipity, business will also follow into our direction. Um, And so I think that's the mentality that we need to try to strive for also in sales. So yes, we still need to do direct sales and just uh, try to make sure that we can convince p- people on an individual basis. But I think community-driven sales is a strategic play for the future that every company needs to, uh, to think about.
1: Yeah. And it has also
0: probably something to
1: do with uh, the whole idea of decentralization, right? Where you put the power away from that centralized entity to now the people. And with the people, I mean, then the community.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's very clear that people also want to be part of what you do. So in the Web3 space, you see that people want to be incentivized with the kind of rise of a certain project, but they also want to contribute in voting. So they want to vote on the projects you launch, on the designs that you create, on the structures that you build. So that kind of idea of co-ownership is definitely part of the metaverse generation. And I think, again, that every company, small or big, needs to think, how can we make our community co-owners uh, or co-creators of what we do? And that's an idea that already existed for a long time. That was also kind of part of the promise of social media. But then it still be- became an audience game where companies, mm-hmm. Facebook reach, uh, spend money on promoting Instagram reels and LinkedIn posts. And again, there's nothing wrong, but I think now we really come to a moment in time where we need to strategically think about building community and also leveraging the power of the crowd. So how do you build something together? How do you refine it together? And how do you split the incentives uh, going forward? I think the communities that can crack that are, are for me, the, the winners of the future. hmm yeah, and you, you brought up some elements that made me think back to uh to the DAOs,
1: the decentralized autonomous organizations that you that you mentioned earlier. So how will that change the world of business of today's, especially when you mention stuff like co ownership, they want to have voting rights and stuff like that? How do you see or how do you think that,
0: you know, the companies will evolve towards those DAOs? Well, I think that, uh, it won't be one or the other. So I think there still will be a place for normal organizations with normal share structures. Mm-hmm. Um, Because running a DAO is is quite complex and it's very early days for for that structure. But I think the principles behind are interesting. So first of all, in a DAO, you have way more token holders than you would have in a share structure. Uh, So typically you have five shareholders, 10 shareholders, uh, it's it's quite limited. Unless you are on the stock exchange, then it's of course different. Mm -hmm. But a DAO has many more uh, shareholders and typically is governed by kind of a community council uh, where they make the bridge between the main token holders and the smaller token holders or the larger community. I think that's what we need to strive for. So I don't think that every company will run on the blockchain in the future because that's the idea of a DAO. But I Hmm. think the principles of DAOs, meaning how can you uh, embark your users and your consumers or customers, not just as a revenue point, but also as a point of co-deciding on what ha- mm-hmm. what's happening, Participation. that's a principle that we need to adopt much more earlier. And then I think it's interesting to see, I saw a tweet from somebody saying in the past, young people wanted to work for big corporates. Uh, so you want to be part of uh, Coca-Cola, Unilever, PNG, or any big bank. Then young people want to be part of startups. That was the kind of next evolution uh, because it was hip and trendy. And maybe in the future, young people will want to be part of a DAO instead of just a normal uh, startup. Mm. So that's an interesting uh, evolution over time. It is uh, interesting. And again, it won't be one or the other. It will be a mixture of, of several elements coming together. But I think companies need to be aware of what is happening inside of these DAOs. So my advice would be join a DAO, see what the main DAOs are doing today and how they're structured. And then think how that can apply to your, your company. Yeah, but it's it's actually very interesting because
1: recently we had uh, the CEO of Easy, Thomas van Eekhout, on the show, and in Easy they are already making it possible for employees to become a partner of the organization. So there I already see some similarities with the the principle of a DAO. So it's 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 not you know written on the blockchain or anything, but it's uh, it follows those, the same principle, and I can see why why we would evolve towards that way.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, what? And and that's maybe more moving towards the uh, the marketing and sales story because it's the revenue discussion podcast. So we have to talk about revenue, Uh, but more particularly also maybe about, you know, the buying journey and the customer experience, because it's, you know, even more digital, more virtual than before. And so what will this mean in terms of buying journey? You know, how will the buyer buy tomorrow?
0: So yeah, I think because of the uh, COVID pandemic, uh, we needed to do a lot of things virtual. Um, I still believe that uh, sales or marketing will happen in a combination between offline and, uh, and online. But I think above all, what for me stands out is uh, experience. Um, and I call it experience 3.0. So how can you leverage what we see happening in those virtual worlds, where people really get an immersive experience, either through their desktop or through a virtual reality headset, And how can we bring that to the sales and marketing uh, environment? For example, very practically, if you look at e-commerce, we are still looking at 2D pictures of the elements that we buy. Whereas now you can really make a fully digital twin of your product or service, turn it into a virtual model so that people can see it from different angles, which is way more immersive than just looking at 2D Mm. pictures that are shot in a photo shoot studio. So that's for me a very simple first step that companies need to do. How can we be more immersive in the material that we either use in the journey to convince a customer or in the experience of the uh, sales moments? Uh, so that's that's for me one. Second is uh, loyalty, um, which I've called loyalty 3.0. Um, we had loyalty before. If you think in a consumer environment, you had the cards with the stamps on it. Then mm-hmm. we move to the digital variant of that with points. But I think in the future, we we will have a loyalty 3.0 system where Web3 will enable new stuff. So I think for the people listening, uh, it's interesting to see Starbucks Odyssey. Uh, so Starbucks has created a Web3 loyalty program for its customers uh, to reward them with journey stamps and digital collectibles. Um, so extremely interesting. Uh, So it's experience 3.0, loyalty 3.0. And the last one is um, the community 3.0, which is the topic we just talked Mm -hmm. about. So how can you get very close to communities that exist? Or how can you build your own initiatives uh, from its smallest form? Because you don't need a big community. I think that's important to understand. Kevin Kelly once wrote an extremely interesting article called A Thousand True Fans, so he said that if you want to crack a market, you need to find a thousand people that are close to what you do. So again, either in B2B or B2C, if you can build that or find ways to get to, to those thousand people through partners, I think that's what you need to do. So we call that the, the magic triangle. So community 3.0, loyalty 3.0 and experience 3.0. That's I think what sales and marketing people need to think about. That's That's very interesting. Yeah, the the evolution that I've also seen
1: is that you know back in the days, I'm I'm going back to, ninety fifty to ninety ninety, sale I mean, business was mostly or creating value. Uh, I mean, new generating new business was mostly done via sales. And then you had social media, and it was way more easy to you know. Uh, to, to, to distribute your messaging, your offering through those different platforms. And you see that there is a, a big part of it became marketing. You know, you, you you acquire new customers via marketing. But now I feel that with all that loyalty, community building, we move more towards customer success, you know, where you just want to uh, provide even more value to the existing customer, to the existing client base, and and try to actually grow the business that way. And again, also have those ambassadors, those very happy clients become ambassadors uh, because of those loyalty strategies that you can put into place. And I think that all those technological evolutions will also uh, try to to push that forward. Don't you think?
0: Yeah, I fully agree. uh, You could say it's um, sales through the people uh, or sales through the community. Uh, which means that you need to invest indeed in customer success, but maybe even also prospect success. Because if I look at what we do, we also have to do B2B sales uh, as a uh, service studio organization. Mm-hmm. So... We invest a lot of time in, uh, in in people that are not willing to spend at this time or people that we even know are not able to spend at this moment, but they might go um, to another organization later on or they might end up into a different situation. So we spend a lot of time with people that don't have the wallet right now to actually buy our services. I think that's the mentality that we need to, uh, to strive for. How can we build, again, a community on an individual basis, which could be on LinkedIn? where you give a lot without actually getting something quickly in return or from an organizational perspective, like we do the Future Club in in Dubai, where we just care about bringing relevant information to people, which is somehow connected to our services, but we never do sales presentations. We never show our latest products. Inherently, people understand what we do and they will ask the question, then we can elaborate. Uh, but I really believe that sales right now is a lot of um, indirect sales through the community by investing in the prospect journey and in the customer success, as you said, uh, Dylan. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I think that 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 requires a bit of a longer breadth because, of course, salespeople need to sell every month or every week to hit targets. So that means that you need to plant your seeds on a daily basis to reap them uh, later on so uh when whether it's on linkedin in a virtual way or by organizing evenings or dinners with your most important prospects customers or whatsoever you need to already start doing that now to maybe have the benefit of that in six months mm-hmm. because again it's important compared to social media you can't hack a community there's no way to build an audience so you could hack the virality of a facebook post or a linkedin uh, post you can put Extra reach behind it by sponsoring it with extra money, but a community needs to form organically. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that's the effort that we need to do a bit of front to later on reap the benefits. Yeah, no, that's, uh, super interesting. What you said there,
1: prospect su- success, not only customer success, always. And that's also, you know, moving away from that content creation aspect where, you know, you have to drop your email address and then you get that mini guide for free. And that's cool because then you get the email address and, you know, they get the value because now you then move away again, you, you decentralize it by putting them towards the community. And there is where, where all the value uh, exchange will actually happen among the members.
0: Yeah, exactly. And maybe one element to add for me, the central flywheel of everything that we just discussed is trust. Uh, And so one thing that I try to um, get better at is how do you build, maintain, restore trust in all the relationships that you build, whether with your customers, prospects, employees or partners. But I think trust is really what we lack right now because we are in a very uh, difficult market. There is the recession, there is inflation, there is a war going on, uh, there is climate change. So people are very let's say, um, looking for trust. And I think people either in marketing, sales, or any other setting that find ways to hire the trusts within a relationship will ultimately also get what they want out of that relationship. Uh, and so that's, I think, apart from all the technologies that we discussed or evolutions that are happening, that's the soft topic that I think needs more attention. So how do you build trust for the long term? And even when you fuck up, you have a moment to showcase that you're trustworthy. So it's not when things go positive. It's also, or maybe even more so when things go the wrong way, where you can uh, create your trust. And that's also what you need again to build a community. So I think salespeople and marketing people need to find ways either very tactically or strategically to make sure that they, they build more trustful relationships in a market that is so in need of more trust. That's, that's, that's the perfect
1: bridge, actually, to to sales, in my opinion. I mean, every sales consultant, sales trainer will agree with that. Trust is the ultimate sales currency. So if you can create more trust by having indeed that ecosystem of community where people can indeed, from a neutral position, share what they believe is best for one another, then you know that's indeed the uh, the best uh, thing you can do. And again, uh, having the best services, having the best product is then gets also then more focused because that's what the community will talk about. It's not more the the smooth sales talk or the great marketing ad that will then attract more, more customers. It's also the quality of the product and the services, the offering that will then resonate with the rest of the community. And they again will, uh, will bring new customers that way.
0: Yeah, exactly. You, you said one thing, Dylan, that I think is interesting. Um, I call it courageous conversations. So uh, instead of smooth talking, I think you just need to say the harsh truth. Um, and people that can do that will build trust for the, the long ter- term. So again, even if a project is not delivering, uh, or a product is, is not delivering upon the expectations, the way you deal with that is either opening a door to sell more or closing a door very fast. So, um, the product and, and the service obviously need to strive for quality, but I think the way you deal either with the upside, but mainly the downsides, potential downside of it mm-hmm. is keep the trust. So, um, uh, and especially in a virtual setting, because if you can look each other in the eye, it's easier. Uh, but if you're in a Zoom Teams call or in the metaverse later on, it might be more difficult. So uh, I really think that we need to find ways to to do that better. So trust is ultimately, apart from all the technology, one of my main uh, areas of interest. I try to read a lot about it and, and and understand how it really works because it's Human psychology. Exactly. It's very intangible, uh, but there are ways to, yeah, to try to make it practical as well. And, and again, that would be my biggest advice next to following the big t- tech trends that are happening is how you can also um, be more human and, and be more trustful. Exactly.
1: Now, if people want to learn more about, you know, everything that's happening in the meta systems and uh, the virtual world, you know, wh- where would you send them?
0: Well, if you look from an um, international perspective, I think Twitter is extremely interesting. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, people on Twitter that share their thoughts on the topic. So you can find, if you follow hashtag Web3 or hashtag Metaverse, you will quickly find a lot of interesting people that discuss the topic. I personally also use Flipboard, uh, which is an app on the phone uh, where you can just type in a- any topic um, and then it will create an automatic, automatic magazine out of that with the most interesting articles from uh, from the web. So it's completely free. It comes in a magazine layout, so it's kind of your uh, news um, news magazine uh, related to tech trends or other trends of so sustainability could work as well. So you just type in whatever is of interest to you. Uh, and then from a Belgian perspective, I think there are yeah, some interesting uh, blogs and, and people to uh, to follow. Uh, I can, for example, uh, recommend Yo De Ridder and MetaNomics in, uh, in Belgium. Uh, we also have a podcast specifically on the topic and a YouTube uh, channel. Okay. Um, I can also um, recommend my friends of OG Studio, uh, which are a studio in Belgium, also specialized in everything Metaverse and, and NFTs. And then you have platforms like Blovi and others that are uh, that are also writing and discussing a lot about the uh, the topic. So yeah. yeah, I think that that would be my uh, my recommendation.
1: All right. No, and I think that recently you also co-authored a book, right? Uh, about metasystems.
0: Uh, yeah. So that book was mainly about the power of partnerships. Uh, I wrote it with Niels Van Dam, who is the uh, current CEO of Milcobel, the biggest uh, dairy corporation in uh, in Belgium. Uh, so it was not about the metaverse yet. Oh, okay. Uh, in the term before metaverse came uh, came, came up. Uh, so meta systems is really about how you build trustful partnerships together with uh, people in the uh, the ecosystem. Uh, but we're actually planning uh, to to write a a new book uh, in the the coming months. That doesn't uh, surprise on, me. <laughs> uh, the metaverse and and Web three. So uh, we're already working on that, and I think that should be ready probably Q two Q three next year uh, with our vision on on what's happening right now. So all right.
1: Looking forward to it. Yeah. Thank Dado, you. Dado,
0: thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so
1: much for, for sharing everything that you have shared with us. If people want to find out more about you, uh, about what you do, or they want to work with you, uh, how can they reach you?
0: Uh, yeah. So there are several ways. So people can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, or any uh, relevant platform uh, through Dado van Peterham. Uh I also have a website, uh where you find information on my keynote presentations. Uh, and then our company is called uh, imagine studio so uh, if you do uh, imagine .xyz, you will land on our website where you can discover more about uh, what we do and, uh, and what we're working on awesome now
1: i have uh, one last question for you dado and the question is if dado van ptm was a brand what would it stand for
0: Oh, that's interesting. Uh, that's a super interesting question. What would it stand for? Yeah, I would say uh, the future. And uh, that's what, what always drove me in the past. So I'm extremely excited about where things are going. I used to say that I was more interested in the future than in the past. So I never read history, books, and so forth. I tend to do that more today. I have to be honest because I really see that, uh, yeah, what happens in in the past still has a profound Okay, on the things that we do today. But I think I would really say the future and, and future innovation. Uh, so apart from the applications of what is happening in business. Just from a personal standpoint, I'm so excited about where we are going. If you look at the, 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 the discoveries that are currently happening in the field of AI, in the field of space, in the field of this metaverse and Web3 worlds. Yeah, I'm just extremely excited about uh, what will come out of this and how this will make our lives better. I also understand the potential downsides, but there are already enough tech pessimists. So I want to be an optimist. (laughs) Be an optimist, please. Yes.
1: No, I love it. I will take that answer. And uh, thanks again, Dada, for being on the show. And uh, I wish you the best of luck.
0: Thanks so so much for having me, Dylan. See you next time. Bye-bye.